This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. I'm excited about the guest of today's episode. She is senior lecturer at Central Queensland University, Australia, and director of the Motivation of Health Behaviors Lab. She completed her PhD in kinesiology at Pennsylvania State University. Her research focuses on the psychology of health behavior change and the impact of physical activity on mental health and well-being. Ladies and gentlemen, here is our guest, Dr. Amanda Rebar. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, everybody. Yeah, so thank you for taking the time for this podcast. So I assume you working from home at the moment. How How is it going? <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I am working from home and it is going. I have a four-year-old behind me playing some new Legos he's got. And I have a one-year-old who is probably putting something in his mouth at the moment. I'm not sure. But yeah, I'm trying to maintain a, a workload like everyone else is, and it, it feels totally overwhelming. Um, so yeah, thanks for asking, Ollie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at least you are a psychology expert and a habit expert. So so has it has it helped to to manage the daily life at all? <laughs> I wish. Um, no, I don't think it has because um, I think I'm just having a really hard time adjusting my expectations. I'm I'm a person who really likes to um, mark things off on my to-do list and it just doesn't seem to be going as efficiently as it usually does. Um, but what I do know about psychology and habits has helped me in the sense that I know that I need to be kind to myself and I know that relapses and um, not meeting your expectations every day is just a part of it. And as far as leading a healthy lifestyle goes, it's more of a marathon than a short-term goal to be achieved. So it's okay if I screw up for a few days in a row because I have a chance to get back to it when I'm feeling more capable. Yeah, and I I think no employer is is expecting too much from their their workforce at the moment. Probably everybody understands that this is a very special circumstances. Mm, I hope so. Yeah. So so would you like to tell in the beginning more about your academic background? How did you came to this this point? Yeah, um, it's been an interesting journey, and I think a lot of academics can relate to. Um, having a roundabout way of ending up where you are at the moment. But I went to Indiana University and got a bachelor's degree in psychology. And early on as a freshman, took a course and realized that you could actually use numbers to make sense of how strange people are and what they do and the decisions they make. 
And I just thought that was such a, mm-hmm. such a cool way to look at the world. Um, so dove into social development psychology. And I worked in a, a lab where we looked at emotion regulation in toddlers and how that impacted um, people's lives 20, 30 years later. And I worked in uh, Professor John Bates' lab. And I think as an undergrad, I didn't realize what a wonderful opportunity that was to learn from him and Dr. Angela Staples, who is just a, continues to be a guru in statistics. And I had an early start in research and, and fell in love with it quite quickly. Uh, so then decided to blend my love of sports and social development psychology when I went for a PhD and ended up working with David Conroy at Penn State University. And we had a great time. We investigated how dynamic motivation is and the idea that it's really kind of silly to ask people um, how motivated they are to do a certain thing or to um, engage in a certain health behavior when (laughs) that can change moment to moment, depending on the person's mood and your opportunity and your expectations. Um, And then fortunately was there at the right time where Neelam Ram and David Conroy and Aaron Pincus got a NIH funded grant to look at really um, intense repeated assessments. So we really got into time series analyses and looking at what happens when you assess um, what's usually looked at only once when you look at it over time. So learned how to merge my love of health psychology and understanding what motivates people to be active with how quickly moods and behaviors and motivation can change over time, which has been a really fun journey. So now I uh, am at Central Queensland University. I took a postdoc with Cornel Vandelenot and his physical activity research group here in Queensland in 2013. It was a postdoc on mental health and physical activity interventions. And it was supposed to be three years, but I stayed and fell in love with Queensland and was fortunate enough to get a national fellowship to do a bit more of the psychology research. So I'm now in a permanent role at Central Queensland University and have been able to apply what we know about motivation and the dynamics and the theory um, into, into big, large-scale interventions. Cornell's quite known for his uh, web-based and mobile-based interventions, so it's been a fun partnership to blend my strange love of theory and statistics with his passion for intervention and intervention design using technology. Um, So I have a wonderful time and I love my job. And I think the best part of it is the people I work with. I collaborate with wonderful people all over the world and I feel quite fortunate to consider most of them my friends. Mm, Yeah, that's a, that's a nice, nice story. And, and when you said about, intense repeated assessments and and that how the motivation changes i'm I'm not an expert on motivation by any means so for me it's like that you you do for example motivation questionnaire once and you kind of know that what where the person is in in the motivation so could you tell us more how much does it change from time to time and what what things affect these changes Yeah, well, the the beautiful thing about what we study is you do know about motivation because you live it every moment of your life. You know, think back on the mornings you get up and you go, oh, I'm going to be I'm going to go on a big, long walk this weekend or I'm going to get up and do a few hours work. And then 
hit the gym. And then when it comes time to actually action those intentions, all of a sudden that seems way less of a priority than it did when you got up. This is the same thing with New Year's resolutions. They're infamous for falling apart in March. And it's because it's really easy to make a single in the moment decision that you're going to be a healthy person or you're going to be physically active for an entire year. But it's not just a one-time decision. It's a everyday decision. It's a decision in that moment to sometimes have to fight these urges to, you know, lay on the couch and dwell in your self-pity or get an extra hour of sleep or get a bit more work done. And and you got to get up and be in a completely different activation state, which is really hard to talk yourself into sometimes. So I think people mm. can relate to the idea that motivation fluctuates. And, um, and I, lo- I love looking into this idea that um, I do quite a bit of work with Ryan Rhodes on the intention behavior gap, where <laughs> there's just a phenomenal amount of variability between the intentions people make to be active and how active they are, um, which is really, it's really quite interesting because a lot of the public health promotion efforts and a lot of the way we intervene in particular with physical activity is to try to persuade people through education and through encouraging them because they should value their long-term health. Um, And really, you know, I love the focus on guidelines that we really need to figure out exactly how many minutes it takes to get such and such an effect for mental or physical health. When really, I think it's it's the motivation. We need to figure out what people, how to get people to do any of it, <laughs> let alone 36 minutes to get an effect size of 0.24. You know, I think it's I think it's much more about a process of capturing people in the right mood and in the right opportunity for when they can be active, as opposed to trying to shove down their throat how good exercise is for them mm. and and how do you see it do you do you usually do it that how it fluctuates during a year or how it fluctuates during a, a single day have you have you tested all all different time windows um we the most i've done is at a daily scale so i usually do daily for a few weeks but the fun part of this is there's there's work being done on both scales. Um, a lot of the habit formation that Ben Gardner and Pippa Lally have done looks at um, this trajectory of how habits form over time. So it's a slower process and you can track that over years. Um, but then Jen Dutton and David Conroy and Jackie Marr have done work on um, momentary assessment in which you're doing six or eight assessments per day. And you're trying to capture those within day fluctuations in both the motivation that impacts behavior, but also how behavior makes you feel and what context you're in when you're active and how we can um, use that information to make just in time interventions. Uh, David Conroy is doing some really exciting things on that in terms of instead of having an intervention where we just inform people and hope that they action it when they can, if we can capture people in the moment where they need the motivation and they're able to act on it, um, we have the technology and the statistical approach to do it. Um, we just need to make sure that that's all theory-based and driven by what we know actually changes behavior. Mm. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. 
It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian. From researchers to researchers. And how would you say that when do the people have best motivation within the day to do, do physical activity? I mean, this is the most annoying answer ever. I know I, I listen to academics on podcasts say this all the time, but the answer is it depends. <laughs> it depends on the person. It depends on the day. Um, if you, what I think is coming out from the latest motivational research is the idea that it's, if we can curtail people's self-regulation where we don't need people to talk themselves into it, but we can actually rely on a more automatic processes like our habits and our automatic approach tendencies and the things we kind of do throughout the day without really thinking, um, that seems to be working better for long-term maintenance of behavior change. So instead of getting up in the morning and say, I'm going to go um, on a two-mile jog because I'm going to have better heart health when I'm 75, if we can change that process into something like well, it's morning, I've brushed my teeth, I've had my coffee, the next thing I do is go on a walk with the dog, or the next thing I do is go to the gym for a half an hour and then get ready for work. Um, and then that, then that would be far more ideal. So it's when people are willing to, and keep in mind this is all aligned with the nuances that are, are people's individual differences. There's chronotypes, right? Some people are morning people, and some people are evening people. If you told me I had to work out first thing in the morning, you would not uh, succeed. Um, I'm, I'm used to working out in the afternoon. And I think the reason that is, is because when I was in school, I did a lot of school sports. I wasn't good at them necessarily, but I still did them. And that kind of trained trained my expectations and, and my habits to have that late afternoon, evening, relief of the day be that exercise, that structured exercise schedule. Um, so rather than fight what I'm used to um, and what worked for my life, I kind of tried to incorporate that throughout my life as I went through the different phases and, and made major life changes. I tried to make sure I kept that in routine so that it, it maintained that habit for me. Mm. So, so do you think it's easier for you just to keep doing the same that you did already years and years, that it was the afternoon when you were doing, doing your physical activity, that it has been, you haven't seen reason to change it or, or that it, it would be challenging to change this, this kind of habit, learned habit? Well, the habit theory would speak to the idea that habits are your default behavior, right? They're, They don't take effort to make those decisions. So ideally, if you can form healthy habits, that's your best go for long-term healthy behavior. Um, and the way habits form is through doing that behavior in the same context, whether that be the same part of your routine, the same time of day, um, when you're around the same context or the same people, or if you're in the same mood, 
um, some people really need to feel quite activated and will have a coffee or some caffeine before they um, can get motivated to go exercise. So there's a lot of different cues people use to trigger their habits, but your mind will learn to associate that behavior with whatever cue it's connecting it to. So yeah, ideally, if you're doing your if you're doing the exercise at the same time of day in the same routine, something like that, it will get easier over time to just do that as part of your natural daily rhythm, as opposed to as a chore. Um, <laughs> I just talked to a friend in America who is um, at home with I think five or six kids. And she mentioned she was doing one of those um, 80 day body challenges where you try to get fit across 80 days. And as a habit scientist, I always think about how detrimental that can be to be motivated to get through those 80 days, because what happens after that? Like I don't, in the grand scheme of things, I don't care if you're active for 80 days. I want you active for your whole life. So when you do something where there's a short term goal and it's something to achieve, it just doesn't seem like it's going to translate into long-term behavior change that'll be meaningful for long-term health outcomes. Mm, that's a really interesting point because a lot of people have short-term goals. They they are training for a marathon. They have a crass diet and and so on. So it's it's a really really important point that that doesn't seem to work. So how how would you start to creating habits that that stay for a lifetime and how to avoid the short-term goal problems. Yeah, there's beautiful recommendations um, from Wendy Woods and um, and Professor Fung who have just written books on how to create habits and they're all based on habit theory. But the basic idea is start small as far as the behavior. So do little things. Don't try to give yourself a goal to be go running for an hour and a half if you're just starting, do something that's achievable. Um, and Vasper Plankin once told me, and it sticks with me all the time now, is it needs to be something that's either fun, makes your life more efficient, or makes you feel satisfied. Um, so if you're trying to start a new habit and you have to talk yourself into it every day, Or you're thinking, okay, if I do this for 90 days, I'll look as good as I want to. Or if I aim for, you know, being able to run a marathon, then that will work. Sure, it might, but it won't look work in the long term. So find something else. Find something that you enjoy, or that's a break from daily stressors, or that um, makes your life more efficient. So maybe if you live in a big city try figuring out if cycling to work is a better option for you or if walking to the shops works better than taking your car. There's plenty of ways to fit activity in your life without making it feel like it's taking up time. We're so busy now and we have so much on our plates that trying to shove something else in a day doesn't seem to be working. So instead of instead of jamming something else in to do, figure out how to be smarter about scheduling it within your day so that it's not taking priority over something, but it it might be the means to another goal, like socializing with your friends. Maybe if, you know, twice or three times a week, you go have coffee with your friends. Maybe if you turn that into a, a yoga session, um, you still get the same rewards of the social connectedness, 
that it's not something else you have to do because those having more chores doesn't doesn't work. Hmm. That that all makes sense. So you should start with the small changes. They should be fun, making your day more efficient, or you should feel satisfied. So how do you usually approach this in your in your interventions? Yeah, great question. Well, you know, there's there's two strategies, and we're and we're working on it. So the answer is not well, um, but what we're looking at doing is instead shifting the perspective on how to intervene with people from a persuasion approach where we try to convince people how important it is to other opportunities. So two recent things we've done is look at a a subtle way to change people's automatic feelings of approach or avoidance towards behavior. These are called automatic evaluations. So you kind of always have this um, I'm making these facial expressions that you guys can't see, but you have a general tendency to think something's pleasant or unpleasant, um, even if it's something you've never encountered before. And those tend to lead you to either approach it or avoid it. And that's the case for physical activity too. People have these automatic responses that they may not be aware of, or um, if they are, they may not be willing to necessarily report them. So we capture them with something called implicit tests, implicit measures, where we're kind of tricky in how we um, figure out what people's automatic evaluations are. But one way we went about trying to change them was through making an app. We called it Flex, and it's an app that has stimuli within it. So it's games. It's four games, and they're pretty fun. They're based on um, brain game apps that people use to try to stay cognitively aware in older age. So like a card matching one and a word scramble. Um, but what we did is made two versions, one without any exercise related stimuli at all. And the other version had the exercise stimuli. So the words that you would unscramble happened to be words about working out or tennis or different sports or jogging. Um, and then some pleasant stimuli too. So words that are associated with ha- with pleasant physical activity. So feeling achieved or um, satisfied or enjoyment, those types of things. And we did find a between group difference. So that app actually did um, have an influence on automatic evaluations. We're still kind of teasing apart what that effect means, but it was really fun to try to do it in a way that isn't based on people having to translate what they know about the values and the importance of exercise into their motivation and then act on that motivation. It was all subtle and under the scene. So we didn't have to rely on people rest self control to, to make it work. Um, And then the other one we're working on is based on cardiovascular and pulmonary rehabilitation patient rehabilitation patients. Um, there's this really neat system in Australia where we have they get, we give patients access to exercise sessions once they have had a hard heart or lung medical event. And usually it's eight or 12 weeks in a gym or in a community-based exercise um, session with a trained exercise professional. And, at, and a lot of times it just abruptly ends. So you train everyone how to be active and then it stops. And what we're trying to do with that um, is make it 
so that there's a there's a habit based transition period. So once you're done with that, we help people ease back into being active in their own lives. So how now that you know how to be safely active and that you can do these exercises, how can we make sure that these translate into healthy habits for people? So we help schedule social groups. We're helping to look at how to how people want to fit it within their daily routines and send relevant reminders and things like that. So we're usually we're using really consumer driven evidence to to make these programs. So again, the focus isn't on informing people about the benefits of exercise, but rather making it work for them in their specific circumstances. Hmm. And and you mentioned about this app. So is the app actually measuring the automatic evaluations or you try to change them with the app? We try to change them with the app and then we use what's called an implicit association test to measure them. So it's kind of this categorization task where they have to pair words, um, they have to categorize words into categories and the categories are either physical activity and good and the other one being sedentary or bad or the task will switch and then physical activity is paired with bad and sedentary behavior is paired with good. And depending on how quickly and accurately people respond to the categorization task under those different conditions, we can get at the idea of how um, tightly those concepts are associated within the, within the user's mind. And that test has been used for, oh my gosh, almost 20 years now. Um, it started as a test of implicit bias, um, of racial biases in the U.S. And has been used in an assortment of other health behaviors since then as well. Mm. And and how well these these scores in this test actually relate to actual physical activity levels that people do? Yeah. So in theory, um, these automatic evaluations lead someone to approach certain opportunities um, to be active, and that'll translate into behavior. And uh, probably two or three years ago now, Guillaume Chavance um, and I did a meta-analysis in Health Psych Review on implicit attitudes, which is another word for these, and physical activity behavior and found a small to medium association in general. So yeah, it does predict people's behavior, which is amazing um, given the how different it is to push buttons on a computer to categorize a, a word and how different that is than actually engaging in activity. But it speaks to the importance of, of automaticity and motivating behavior and how we think we act um, based on our values and our intentions and our, and our moments. And a lot of times we do, um, but there's a lot more that motivates our behaviors than our long-term goals. Mm. And, And where do you think these automatic evaluations come come from? Is it is it how how much did we like our PE lessons in school, or what kind of experience have you have you identified? Where do these these come from? Uh, I haven't done any. Um, there's a researcher named Rudman who has the exact same theory that you just said that they're guessing these automatic evaluations stem from early experiences with the concept or the behavior. Um, but we have done work that shows they change quite rapidly. And so we're just teasing apart how much of that change is due to measurement stuff, error and fatigue and boredom on this task, 
um, compared to what the actual construct. So how much do your automatic evaluations truly change over time? I think we've made a pretty convincing argument that they are quite malleable. So they do change um, at least within within a week, um, which is exciting because it means we can actually intervene with these and hopefully target behavior without relying on people's self-control. So they change. Um, we're still playing with how to how to effectively intervene with them and translate that into behavior change. But it's an exciting it's an exciting potential avenue for sure. Yeah, and and so you are able to change them. Have you have you studied how much do they change if you don't do anything? If if for example you have a rather inactive and sedentary person, and this person has certain automatic evaluations and this person doesn't start uh, or change the behavior, do they stay then quite static or are they are they fluctuating in the same way as you said about motivation? Yeah, I think, again, it's a little bit difficult to tell because so much measurement error can go into these types of things when you're relying on people's response times. Um, but the evidence is showing that they do change more quickly than, for example, habit strength. Um, so yeah, so they change within day and and our intervention showed that they change at least within a few hours. Mm. So so basically you can it, it it might prove to be an effective way of changing changing behavior that you first start changing the automatic evaluations and is it that then you start forming a new habit or how does the trajectory go? Well, I think the whole idea is that instead of treating it as a, um, having to fight a temptation to be sedentary or to not be active, you make that temptation less pulling. So you're not as reliant on self-control to engage in the healthy lifestyle you want. So it's not necessarily that they, by enhancing people's automatic evaluations towards activity, it'll immediately translate into habit. But I think both of those constructs have in common that they're driven largely by automatic processes, meaning they don't require self-control. And in fact, the less self-control, the more reliant you are on these automatic processes like your habits and your automatic evaluations. You kind of just go with the flow and how you're feeling. Um, so that's the exciting part to me. I think with automatic evaluations, we don't have enough evidence to say that that speaks in any way to long-term behavior change. Um, whereas with habit formation, that's an exciting one because there's plenty of evidence out there showing we can help people develop strong habits and that and that ideally translates into long-term behavior change. So I think those are two different approaches. And the trend and the trend that I'm falling into as a researcher is is being on my little soapbox that I've kind of given up on people's self-control because um, it doesn't seem to work to just educate people about exercise. So I'm trying to find ways to curtail that and say, okay, fine, we'll go with your habits and we'll go with your automatic evaluations. And a lot of the approaches that researchers are using to change these types of constructs are similar to what marketers use and advertisers use. And that's really exciting because do you know who does know how to change behavior? Marketers and advertisers. So it's been fun to pay attention to commercials and 
to add placement in movies and things now that I have a better understanding of associative learning and, and the theories that underpin these types of strategies, because I can go, oh, you know what? We should do that as public health researchers. Forget you know, public service announcements where we're educating people. Why don't we use the same strategies that make our product look fun and look engaging and be connected to things that we enjoy? You don't see advertisers trying to persuade you to drink Coca-Cola because it's good for you. That wouldn't work. Um, that's not the strategies they use, but they sure are able to get people to drink Coca-Cola. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. And and I think like for me, it's like when I'm I'm looking at a bad movie, I fully concentrate on a on a product placement and I, I try mm-hmm. to spot as, as many many product placements as I can find and, and especially in the really like Hollywood movies, it's it's crazy how <laughs> much there is product placement and, and I think it's it's a good way to way to learn how, how they really influence influence the behavior. So are you are you planning to work with some professional marketing people or are you just trying to learn their their tricks to use in your interventions? Mm. I would love to team up more with marketers and advertisers. I've worked a little bit with um, a few of them, um, but not nearly down the rabbit hole as much as I'd like to go quite yet. Um, so no, I'd love to team up. And like I said, I think I know that the problem is as researchers, we're so trained to sell the value of our work and the significance. I mean, every paper we write and every grant application we write starts with a paragraph on how important it is to be physically active or how much um, national burden there is from physical inactivity um, that we're kind of trained so much to do that. That's our approach when we target at-risk patients and the general population. And I think we need to get out of that perspective and and go back to real life and, and realize that People don't reason their way into a healthy lifestyle. Mm. And I, I remember seeing somewhere that somebody had compared, like for example, the companies that are producing chocolate and their marketing budgets to to the marketing budgets in UK to eat healthy. And and it was even like one company, chocolate producer, was using more money. Than, than the whole uh, government of UK to promote eating healthy. So it's quite easy to see that <laughs> the other ones are really professionals in the marketing and they are using much more money. And probably for many people, the chocolate taste is good than the carrot. So it's quite easy to see yeah. that why people are not, not eating healthy in this this situation. Oh yeah, we're, we're fighting um, some people that have a lot of money and do their job really well. I worked, I actually did a, years ago, I did a job interview with a company, a major chocolate selling company in America. And they were really excited because a lot of the expertise I had was about changing people's behavior. Um, but it was going to be for me fighting for the enemy. And I, <laughs> and I actually walked in with um, black dress shorts on and they said, we'll interview you, but you don't want this job because... If you show up to an interview in shorts, you don't want to work in industry. Okay, <laughs> maybe I don't. Uh, so I think it's a whole different ball game. 
All right. So how did you end up even going to the interview? Didn't you, you think right from the beginning that this is not a match or, or was it for the sake of interest? <laughs> I think it's, I think I'm too much of an academic to, um, <laughs> to sell myself to in industry at the moment. I think there's wonderful industry opportunities, but it would have been, uh, <laughs> it would have been quite a switch to go from trying to help people maintain healthy lifestyles to try to get them to buy chocolate. And I'm not saying don't buy chocolate. There's always a place for <laughs> giving in to delicious chocolate every once in a while. Um, yeah, I but I do think I, I, I love the theory and I love the data part. And I don't think that's part of those types of jobs. Yeah, I fully see that. This podcast is sponsored by Fibion. Uh, my name is Dr. Paul Batman, and I'd like to just say a few words about Fibion. Um, I've used it a number of times on different projects that I've been involved in and find that it's incredibly reliable, very valid and incredibly sturdy. I love the graphics that come with it. It really is very clear and can easily see the active and inactive periods as well. So I'd certainly recommend Fibion to anyone that's interested in finding out more about sedentary behaviour, particularly the concept of sitting and how we can possibly break it up with some really good valid information. So if we go a little bit back, like you said that the automatic evaluations are malleable. Uh, on practical level, what what people can do to actually change their automatic evaluations? Oh, great question. I I wish we I had done 40 more years of research before being able to answer that question. We we don't really know. I think something people can do on a practical level is consider their automatic evaluations and be more aware of them. So if you feel like you're really having to fight urges to to reach your health goals, it be it being active or another one, um, it might be that you're having to overcome these um, strong biases that push you in a different direction from where you want to go. And and that's okay. And if you're aware of it, you're going to realize that in that moment, and only in that moment, you need to have enough self-control and a self-motivation, enough motivation to overcome that. So um, the more you do it and the more you enjoy and reward um, and have reward from the behavior itself, um, ideally, and I'm speaking uh, really speculatively at this moment, but Ideally, your automatic evaluations will shift as long as you're experiencing the behavior in a in an enjoyable fashion. Um, but from from this get go, just be aware that you act when you do have self control, and be kind to yourself when you don't. I think there's parts of life and there's days where you can kind of beat yourself up because you didn't do the goal that you had in mind or you didn't. Um, achieve the amount of activity that you wanted and that's okay because relapses of, of a day or two are not going to have substantial impact on your habits and you always can have the next day to start over and start fresh and find something that works better so instead of beating yourself up if you don't get something done take it as a chance to reflect on it and say okay, why didn't it get done and can I change it or can I change how it fits in my routine so it works better for me? It's not about who you are as a person. It's about that the behavior needs to act well within your life and work for you. Mm. And and how, how do you see that it, it should be pleasant? Like if, if you are unfit, uh, 
almost all kind of cardio exercise, it probably feels on some level unpleasant, whether it's it feels in your ankles, your knees, or you're out of breath, or you haven't used to getting sweaty. Do you see that the only way is to is to start really small and with with just walking and kind of really really gradually build your fitness up that you could actually do something more intensive that it would also be pleasant yeah it's a great question and we and we came across the similar problem with working with uh pulmonary and cardio rehab patients they're going listen i can't breathe when i exercise you want me to make it fun come on you know or i'm in immense pain when i do this um how can it be fun and it's i think we're so trained to think of exercise as something to be achieved and to be proud of and to get enjoyment out of a sense of satisfaction. And there's so many other ways to make it enjoyable. Um, you can do it with friends that you enjoy. Other ways we've been playing with is listening to the music um, that you enjoy, but only during the exercise so that you then associate that uh, pleasant auditory experience with the behavior of exercise. Um, yeah, being able to go to somewhere you really enjoy, if you have an outdoor space that's safe and, and accessible to you, um, do your exercise there. So as long as it's part of the actual behavior that is the enjoyable and, and the pleasant experience, then I'm all for creativity. Um, some people even have gone as far as to use a certain type of shampoo or a perfume that they really enjoy and they'll only put it on themselves or wash their hair before they work out um, so that that pleasant scent is is with them when they exercise. So there's plenty of ways. What I would just want to make sure people are aware of is what you want to avoid is rewarding yourself with something um, other than the behavior. So, you know, there's a risk of going out and exercising and then coming home and eating a chocolate cake or, and then coming home and doing binging in front of the TV um, as a reward, because then you're not enjoying the experience. You're forcing yourself to do it for another means. And that doesn't seem to be as good for our long-term motivation as, as when you're intrinsically enjoying that activity. So there's so many different ways to be active. And if it's not working, find different ways. Mm, yeah, it, it it makes sense. I I see some problem in that. That if it's for example that you only listen that music when you go exercise, you have to make a decision not to listen that music other ways. And and maybe for some people they are not doing. They are like, yeah, I can do this anyway, or I can I can be with the friends. I can be social anyway. So do you see any any way of overcoming this one? Well, and that's the beautiful, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the beautiful thing about how habits form, right, is your mind is working in the background to make these strong connections between the behavior and your cue. So it could be that time in your routine or the people you're around or the time of day. So as long as that reward is pertinent to that behavior, your mind doesn't care that they can get that reward outside of that. You might have to, during the first part of trying to develop the habit, work really hard to make sure that you are linking that reward to that behavior. So you might have to really, you know, say, okay, I'm really am going to inhibit listening to that music unless I'm exercising, for example. 
But eventually over time, this all gets so much easier. If that's just what you do, then it's going to be engaging in that activity is going to be less effortful of a decision to make. And also you're not going to be as reliant on that reward. Eventually it'll just start being part of something that your mind connects with being as a pleasant and rewarding experience in itself and part of what you do in your daily habitual life. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think these are really important points of, of creating new habits and, and, and right now in the world, we have a really special situation that none of us have seen before that we need to, most of us need to self-isolate more or less. And basically we're doing distance work and we need to learn, learn new habits, uh, what kind of tips you would give to people with all this knowledge from the habit formation for the current situation with the COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, it's a really, it's a really tough question because I'm in two minds of it. One mind is, hey, because you're in the same context every day, maybe this is a cool opportunity to start a new habit because your mind learns to associate the context Um, when you do the same behavior in that same context consistently. Um, But then reality strikes and, and the evidence shows it's really hard to make major lifestyle changes when you're stressed. And when you're in a, a situation where you don't feel like you're in control and when you feel uncertain about the future. Um, So I think the, of the two minds, I like, this one where I think honestly you should be kind to yourself and and it's okay and and lower your expectations and I might be talking to myself during this <laughs> but I think it's a really hard time to try to develop a new habit especially given that hopefully in a little while um, your life will go under an, another major shift where um, you won't be under the same routine and schedule as you are now. So perhaps your habits, if you did develop any, would be disrupted then anyway. So I think instead of that, if you focus on trying to make the things that you have to do in your daily life more enjoyable, including exercise um, or helping make your life more efficient, then you're setting yourself up to learn how to develop healthy habits as opposed to starting a healthy habit now. I think it's just too much to put on people at this point to expect them now to make a long lasting um, behavior change. Yeah. So, so do you see that now it's just the time to, to survive with the daily life and with all the new things and it's not maybe the right time to start, start learning a, a new habits for for physical activity or or nutrition or whatever it is, I, I think it's I think it's not the right time to start a new health behavior habit. But I do think it provides a unique opportunity to reflect on changes that you can make. It's, it's a time where we can stop and go, what does work, and what are my priorities, and perhaps by being kind to yourself and managing your expectations and and your um, sense of control and what you can control, what you can't, um, you'll be able to learn about yourself so that when it's a more opportune time, you are able to develop healthy habits. But I think 
right now, um, we know we're just on the cusp of learning a lot more about how being in states of poor mental health um, can be quite detrimental to health behavior motivation. Um, so I think your health, your mental health maintenance um, is a first priority. And, and it may be that um, you, you can use exercise and other health behaviors to enhance mental health. So that might be a, a way um, to get at that. But I think your main focus should be your getting through daily life and reflecting on your own expectations and your own life and being kind to yourself and to others. Mm, yeah, those are those are good points. So you have been also doing some some studies related to mental health. How how do you see this this situation affecting the mental health of the people? Oh, um, I made that sigh because it, it's concerning. Um, I think a lot of I, I focus mostly on you know, the disorders of anxiety and depression or symptoms and what those two disorders have in common is um, a lot of feelings of a lack of control. And I think that a situation like this could, um, could max magnify those types of feelings. And so that's quite concerning. Um, and the other thing is, I think we need to, <laughs> we need to just be kind to each other and ourselves because it's such a big ask for people to, isolate from one another and it's a big ask for people to sacrifice when they feel like others aren't and it's really hard and I think um, as I've said several times throughout this I think the key there is to reflect on your expectations of yourself and other people and making sure that if you're constantly feeling like you're being let down by yourself or others it's your expectations that should change not um, you pushing yourself or others to do different things. It's just, you, it's a, it's a tough time to ask more people at the moment, including yourself. And also I think it's an important thing to remember that it's probably more normal in a circumstance like this than to feel anxious and to feel depressed than to not have a poor mental health reaction to this. It's a completely understandable and relatable um, feeling of uncertainty and a fear and of lack of control um so you don't have to pretend like this is normal because it's not and you don't have to pretend like you're coping because it's okay if you're not um and there's amazing resources that the center for disease control in the u.s and the world health organization have pointed to to how to cope with mental health and how to get the resources you need and around the world, it's really exciting because a lot of the stigma that used to be associated with seeking mental health support is really waning. And, and that's really exciting for me because it just really hurts to think that there's people that need mental health support that feel like they can't access it for whatever um, reason. It, so yeah, I think it's really hard on people's mental health and I hope it ends soon. Mm. And and how do you see that it, it's people are not in control? There's a lot of uncertainty, and when you actually read the studies, studies expecting what will happen, there's probably not a vaccine in next two years, or it takes one and a half, two years at minimum. So we are probably being maybe on and off from this some sort of isolation for quite a long time. 
how do you see people could proactively mentally prepare for this kind of uncertainty that might last for for at least a couple of years? <laughs> oh, you're really asking the easy questions now. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think I think you have to find what works in the circumstances now. So if you're just finding that I just got to bear down and get through this, um, because of the uncertainty of the timing, <laughs> that's not going to be sustainable. So find a way that works for the circumstances you have now. And, and that's similar to the recommendations for building a healthy lifestyle anyway, is that if it's not working, don't just keep using self-control to fight and fight because your self-control is going to collapse underneath you. Um, and, and you're going to have failures and giving into temptation. So I think it's really a time to be reflective and think, what are the expectations of myself and others? And how can I, uh, how can I shift those to be more reasonable during these circumstances? Um, do you need to move your home office? If you're getting interrupted with kids all the time, do you need to manage your Um, workload by cutting down on hours? Um, how do you juggle, you know, personal situations? I mean, there's heaps of different things that come up now that people have to manage. And it's a huge ask um, for everyone to be adjusting all at once. I think the important part and the exciting part is seeing how people are connecting um, with one another in ways that they haven't before. So using the internet, connecting through podcasts and through um, <laughs> through Zoom. I think everyone can relate to having people on Zoom or on Skype for the first time and watching them manage the technology. I've had, I've, yeah. I've quite enjoyed having people use different backgrounds and uh, <laughs> and blur their backgrounds and things. I, 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 yeah, so get enjoyment out of the small things. Um, but I think also just realizing how normal everyone's feelings are And and not having to fight that and, and being kind to yourself and others. I know I just keep saying that, but if there's a time and a place to do that, that's now. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. So you have you have a one-year-old and four-year-old, and it's been really silent in the background during this yes. recording. How how do you how, how how do you manage manage this this part? I think it's probably the most challenging part. Um, assuming my husband can hear me, I'll say I do it all by myself with no support from my family. Um <laughs> I'm hoping he'll come yell in a minute. Um, no, I am. I am really lucky. I have a really supportive partner and two uh, two okay kids. <laughs> I was going to say wonderful, but I mean they have their moments. Um, but yeah. I think the thing that keeps me sane is relating. There's so many people in your same situation, regardless of what that is, and if you can find them and make light of it, and um, and just relate to each other on that level. It's been really nice. I think seeing colleagues and and professional people in situations where they seem more human is nothing but good for people. I mean, how bad is it for people to know that you have kids at home? It's 
it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. And for pets to interrupt sessions, I wish our working lives were more like that in general. And to be honest, most of the people I work with already <laughs> already were managing me complaining about my kids and, and hearing them in the background. So it's a lovely part of life. Um, and it's just part of the real world now. Mm, yeah, I agree. And and how, how do you see now that we have been talking about formation of habits, especially for school age children? It's It's a big change that they are actually distance learning in many countries and and so on so do you have any any insights how the parents can can teach new habits to the kids that the daily life would be more manageable <laughs> i'm more worried about the parents uh <laughs> you know kids kids form habits in uh, the same conceptual ways but they are typically form habits without leaning on their self-control as much as adults do. Um, so they're reliant on parents for the routine and the structure. So I would argue the same type of idea that set a set a good routine. And if it's not working for your kid or for you, do something else. Find a different way. There are so many wonderful different ways to help your kids learn. Um, the thing that concerns me most about the homeschooling aspect is that I think it will just make inequities worse. I think most Um, of the parents who are engaged and motivated and have the accesses and resource have access to the resources they need will be perfectly fine and their kids will be perfectly fine. It's the others that I'm most concerned about. It's the people who um, don't have access or motivation or the ability to um, act, you know, effectively educate their children. I think it's there, there where the concern is um, that, the impact of this might be generational because for some, well, not some, for a lot of kids, um, school was one of the most stable places in their life for healthy food, healthy routine and education. And to take that away from them is, is really disheartening. And a lot of what's going on, I think there's a risk that we're making inequities much, much worse. Mm, yeah, I, I fully agree. So, Thank you for for these discussions. I think we have been uh, talking about one hour. Uh, is there any any things you would like to like to promote or have as a, as a final remarks for these interesting discussions? I don't have anything to promote necessarily. I think just a key message is. I'd really love to see the field go in a direction that is innovative and beyond the idea that we need to persuade people to be healthy. Um, we I touched on a few of those opportunities and ideas that we've generated, but it's a really exciting time to see where the field takes this. Um, so if anyone is doing innovative, fun stuff that is outside um, the realms of relying on people's intentions and self-control, I'd love to hear about it. Hmm. And and if people would like to collaborate with you and and your lab, what kind of what kind of all projects in addition what you mentioned you are you are interested? Um, yeah, so I do in motivation of a lot of different behaviors, and I have this excellent. I should have given them a shout out much earlier, but I have this excellent engaged uh, research lab called the Motivation of Health Behaviors Lab 
I call it the mob lab, but all the students call it the mob lab. I think it's because they're Australian. Anyway, it's all um, a virtual lab of undergraduate researchers, and they're interested in a range of things and are really ambitious and excited to get involved. So any researchers who have um, research related to the psychology of health behaviors or motivation more generally, I'm happy to um, collaborate and learn from or get um, you involved to do uh, lectures or connect with our lab. I think it's a wonderful resource and we're able to connect virtually in a way we couldn't several years before when they were using, um, uh, what were those statistics with the cards? Like the punch cards for statistics. <laughs> We've moved beyond <laughs> that now. So now we can use virtual collaboration as well. So I'm happy to, I love, I love having new collaborators and, and meeting people that of their papers I've read. I think that's a really fun part of the job. Yeah, so really good opportunity. So please be in contact with Amanda if you're interested in collaboration. So thanks a lot, Amanda. It was really interesting discussions and I, I learned a lot about how the motivation fluctuates and I learned about automatic evaluation. It was a really, really fantastic talk so thank you for taking the time for this podcast you're welcome thanks for the opportunity this podcast is sponsored by fibian get scientific validation and learn more about fibian at fibian.com research the physical activity researcher podcast has created an activity tracker purchase guide for researchers get your free copy from the link in the podcast description Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast.